Well, test driving a car can be a lot of fun, depending on, I guess, on what car you're going to drive. But uh, usually, uh, you're perusing the lot as a salesman comes out to greet you and ask you if you have any questions, and you do. So you're like, what, what can you tell me about this car? This here is a 2015 Aston Martin 177. It's in mint shape, as you can see, with the monocoque carbon fiber chassis with a body of handcrafted aluminum. This Butte has a 7.3 liter V12 engine with 750 Nang stallions under the hood. 533 pounds of torque, it has a six-speed automatic manual transmission leather interior and a sound system that'll hand you earplugs at 750 watts of undistorted sound. If you're interested in this fine piece of machinery, I'll cut you a deal. You can steal it from me for $1.85 million. Now, I'm not sure if all salesmen talk like that, but it certainly was fun. Um, you've heard all about the car. You've heard about the car. You know it's an awesome car. And now you want to see what the car can do. You want to sit behind the wheel and you want to feel those 750 stallions. You want to experience 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds and hit speeds of 220 miles per hour. You've heard about it. Now you want to see what it can do. Last week, I asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? We saw some fascinating things about the person of the Holy Spirit, but really, we only scratched the surface of the person of the Holy Spirit. All right? This week, we want to see what he can do. We want to see what he can do. We want to begin to address two more questions. What does the Holy Spirit do, and how will the Holy Spirit make a difference in our lives? What does he do? What difference does he make? Now, I said that this would be a two-part series, but that was before I got into the passages a little bit more, so we're going to extend it one more week and make it a three-part series. Uh, I thought that that was best, but I'm, I'm really excited about next week as well as this week. This week will focus on what the Holy Spirit does in general and what the Holy Spirit does in salvation. Then next week we'll focus on what difference the Holy Spirit makes in the everyday Christian life, the day-to-day -day activity of life. See, the Holy Spirit first saves us and then he helps us live the Christian life. Now, a quick comment on your sermon notes that you'll see there in the bulletin. They're set up like a Bible study. You've got lots and lots of passages of Scripture to meditate on, so I want you to put those to good use. You can use them this week. You can study to make sure that what I am saying is being uh, drawn from the Scripture. And I guarantee that if you take this sermon series to heart, it will help you. It will help you. Trusting the Holy Spirit and tapping into His unlimited power will make a big difference in your life, a practical, noticeable difference. And that's what I hope happens for you. I hope that you learn to walk by the Spirit, that you learn to walk by the Spirit. But folks, you have to crave experiencing the Holy Spirit's power. You have to crave the Holy Spirit working in your life. Francis Chan wrote in his book, The Forgotten God, quote, I believe that the Spirit is more obviously active in places where people are desperate for Him, humbled before Him, and not distracted by their pursuits of wealth and comforts like we are. Is materialism distracting you from experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? 
Do you feel desperate for the Holy Spirit? Do you want to experience His power? And if so, if you can say, yes, I want to experience the Holy Spirit's power in my life, then I think you're on the cusp of experiencing His supernatural power in your life. And if you're not, if if that seems somehow dry or boring or whatever, then my friends, you need to get desperate. You need to get desperate or you may never experience the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And that's frightening. Absolutely frightening. We can't just stare at the Bible and think we know the Holy Spirit or think that we have experienced him in full just by reading the Bible. We need to experience what he can do. What does the Holy Spirit do and how does he make a difference in our lives? That's what we're turning our attention to. Number one, the Holy Spirit creates. The Holy Spirit creates. We touched on this last week. Genesis 1.1 is Father, Spirit, Son. So every person of the Trinity was active in creating the universe. In Job 33, verse 4, Elihu told Job, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Holy Spirit creates and sustains life. You exist because of the Holy Spirit. He wants you alive. Everything good that you have ever experienced in life has come from him. He made the universe to tell you something, to communicate to you something about himself. Number two, the Holy Spirit indwelt Jesus Christ and gave him power. The Holy Spirit indwelt Jesus Christ and gave him power. Even though he endured unfathomable suffering in his life, Jesus Christ lived the best life ever. Can we just agree on that? That he was the most happiest person there ever was. He was the most joyful, the most content. He lived the best life. Even though his life was filled with suffering, he was the most joyful and content person ever. Think about that. Now how? Jesus was spirit-filled. He lived on earth in complete unity and synchronization with the Holy Spirit. And that is why his life was so beautiful. That's why his life was so powerful and so exemplary in every way. Luke 4.1 says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.14 says that after Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee. His Public ministry boomed because the Holy Spirit filled him and led him and influenced him. He operated by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord was unquestionably on the person of Jesus Christ. John 3 verse 34 says that God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. One time Peter preached that God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus accomplished what he did by the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. Want to know what the Holy Spirit can do? Look at the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you'll see what the Holy Spirit can do. Imagine that same Holy Spirit of power coursing through you, living in you. Imagine what God could do in and through you if you believed that the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus empowered you. Now, why does Gatorade sell? You might have a lot of 
a lot, of, uh, a lot to say on that, but I think it whittles down to three simple things. It tastes great, it rehydrates, and six-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson drinks it. There you have it, all right? The all-time touchdown passing leader Peyton Manning drinks it. The 19-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams drinks it. It tastes great, it helps, and it's endorsed by the best. If there is anything that endorses the greatness and benefit of the Holy Spirit, it's the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is reason enough to crave, to desire, to want the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Number three, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Bible. This could be an entire sermon series, so um, just know that there are compelling historical, grammatical, archaeological, prophetical, logical, and experiential, even scientific arguments that substantiate the inspiration of the Bible, but they are for another time. So I'm going to cut right to the chase. The Bible is different from Homer's Iliad. The Bible is different than Shakespeare's Hamlet or any other ancient literature. It's unique. The Bible originates from God. Every other piece of work or literature originates from man. Well, didn't around 40 different authors uh, write the Bible, Pastor Jonathan? Yes, but under the divine inspiration and leadership of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through the minds, affections, and pens of men. Here are some examples of that. King David wrote Psalm 110. But Jesus said David wrote it in the Holy Spirit. Another example is Peter from Acts 1.16. He said that the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Hebrews 3 verse 7 begins, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then the rest of verses 7 through 11 quotes Psalm 95, written by a musician. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 is one of the clearest passages of Scripture on this. Peter said, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carried along the authors of the Bible and they wrote the Word of God. We have in our possession copies of God's inspired Word. I want you to think about that. We have in our possession communication from God. The Bible is a supernatural gift to you from the Holy Spirit. Every word is from Him. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you on every page of Scripture. We don't need to hear God's audible voice. We hear God's voice from the pages of Scripture. And if, if you're like, Pastor, that makes me uncomfortable. I want you to consider very carefully 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. We're not going to look at it, but you can ponder that this week if it makes you uncomfortable that we don't hear God's audible voice. We hear from God when the Holy Spirit works through the Bible to communicate divine truth to us. Number four, 
The Holy Spirit appoints elders in the church. In Acts 20, Paul gathered the elders of Ephesus and encouraged them. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Many churchgoers distrust church leaders. Many churchgoers distrust church leaders. And you know what? In, some, in a lot of cases, for good reason. For good reason. But we must be careful because our distrust can quickly escalate into disinterest in the church, dissension in the church, defiance of those leaders, and ultimately disunity in the church. The Holy Spirit wants us to trust and submit to the godly leaders that he appoints. And if we don't, if we disobey passages like Hebrews 13, verse 17, we'll miss out on the great blessings of the Holy Spirit that come through the oversight and care of godly elders. The Holy Spirit has appointed Ed Eisenhuth, Doug Hall, Merle Lefevre, Tim Nichols, and myself as your leading elders for your oversight and care. Now here in that oversight and care, that's for your benefit. The Holy Spirit has put leaders in place for your benefit, and we are far from perfect, but we are spirit-filled and seeking to love and care for you. Trust the Holy Spirit's work in your elders with a discerning. So you can't shut off your mind and just drink the Kool-Aid. You following me on that one? All right? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Discern, have a biblical mind, and then receive the blessings of the Holy Spirit that only come through obedience. Let's shift our focus a little bit to what the Holy Spirit does to save people. I love this. The Holy Spirit changes people's lives. The Holy Spirit changed my life. How many of us would exist if we had not been conceived by our parents? That's a dumb question, isn't it? A dumb question. None of us would be here without mom, dad, and conception. We are not self-made. We are not self-determined infants. Do you know any infants that were self-determined? The choices and actions of others led to our birth, similar in salvation. We get saved based on the sovereign choice and actions of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit saves people. I want you to be so impressed by that this morning that the Holy Spirit saves people that you are impressed into worship, that you are impressed into obedience. Number five, the Holy Spirit causes the new birth. Friends, this is critical to understand. I would guess most Christians totally misunderstand the new birth and regeneration, how it works. The, the common belief is that God has done everything for us, Satan has done everything against us, and now salvation is up to us to make the choice. And that salvation is based on however we choose to respond. It could go either way, depending on our choice. And some elements of that view are correct, but at its core, it's unbiblical. It makes man's will and choice the final and definitive cause 
of his own salvation and not God's sovereign will and choice and grace. Let's ask this important theological question. Does faith come before or after the new birth? In other words, does someone believe and then they're born again, or is someone born again and then they believe? Now, this is important because how you answer this question will determine what you glorify, either God or man. Listen to what Jesus said about the new birth. And as I read this passage from Jesus, I want you to try to identify something. What is the final and definitive cause of the new birth? What causes the new birth according to Jesus? Just listen. In John 3, verses 5 through 8, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Notice Jesus didn't say born of faith. He didn't say born of choice. He didn't say born of free will. He said three times in a short amount of verses, born of the Spirit. Jesus put emphasis completely on the Holy Spirit and the mystery of the new birth that he causes. Earlier in John 1, verses 12 and 13, John wrote this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John was simple. John was clear. John mentions faith. Absolutely he does, and that's part of it. But the key is believers were born, but not of the will of man. So faith cannot essentially, at its deepest root, originate from the will of man. That's not what he's saying. They were born of God. The Holy Spirit is the final and definitive cause of new birth and regeneration 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says that God has caused us to be born again. The cause of new birth is not our faith. It is the mercy, the grace, and power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3 verse 5 also makes it clear. It says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, and get this, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are saved, not by anything we do, but when the Holy Spirit regenerates and renews us. Our new lives are conceived, and I use that very specifically, if you're following the logic, entirely by the Holy Spirit similar to our natural childbirth. James 1, verse 18, says it a different way, referring to the Father now. James said, Of his own will, he brought us 
forth, are you getting that imagery? He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Brought us forth is borrowing of the imagery of childbirth. The emphasis of new birth is entirely on God and not on us. Think of it this way. God commands us to believe. It's a command from God. So belief then is an act of obedience or righteousness. If that obedient faith is the cause of our new birth, then our obedience is the final and definitive cause of our salvation, right? Which would be in contradiction to 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Understand what John is saying. If someone is doing righteous things, the assumption is that they have already been born again, born of God. The Holy Spirit gave them new life, and now by his grace, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they are doing righteousness, and in that doing righteousness is faith, belief. Did you choose your mom and dad? And some of you are like, no, no, I did not. How much did your will influence your conception? This is not hard, folks. All right, Be being born, should I go slower? No, uh, <laughs> being born of Leon and Henrietta Shirk is a metaphor of being born of the Holy Spirit. He birthed me. He gave me new life. He chose to make me a Christian. He took the initiative with me. That's called sovereign grace. And we should rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit who changed us because without the Holy Spirit, none of us want God. Can we not see this? This is sovereign grace. This should burn inside of you to just worship God for what he has done to you through sovereign grace, to pull you, to, to, to woo you by his powerful grace and spirit, to bring you when you didn't want God, but he grabbed you and brought you anyway. Now, if you get that, if that theology becomes part of who you are, you're not going to worship yourself. You're not going to say things like, well, I just chose God on one way. No, you, you start saying, God, save me. He plucked me out of hell for his glory. It's not about me. It's about him. Go deeper into this, people. This is going to seem bizarre to you, but I'm a bizarre guy. Study circumcision in the Bible. That sounds so weird, but do it. We don't have time now, but study the passages in your sermon notes that I put there for you regarding how this Holy Spirit circumcises our hearts. It tells you a lot about God's sovereign grace. So the answer to the question is faith comes after the new birth. Faith is a spirit-produced result of regeneration. So make sure that when you talk about how you were saved, you give all the credit to the Holy Spirit and none to yourself. Number six, the Holy Spirit gives life. How refreshing is that wind? 
In Romans 8, 2, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of life. And in verse 6, Paul said, to set the mind on the spirit is life. Then in verse 11, Paul wrote, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Can we just say, that's awesome? Amen? Amen. All right. Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail, he said. Now, we have Mother's Day. We have Father's Day. Oh, my goodness. We have Grandparents' Day. We have every day for birthing, birth, birth. But every day of the Christian's life is the Holy Spirit's day who gave them spiritual birth. Number seven, the Holy Spirit gives faith. Now, Ephesians 2.8 is the famous verse that people go to to show that faith is a gift from God. It's quoted all the time in this discussion of where faith originates. And there are lots of other verses, actually, that, that teach the same thing. But I'll draw your attention to two uh, passages showing that the Holy Spirit gives faith. Faith. The first is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, which says this. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Take the Holy Spirit away, nobody ever believes. Nobody ever trusts Christ. Nobody ever looks to God Nobody ever says and actually believes sincerely that Jesus is Lord. The only way for someone to say Jesus is Lord and actually believe that deep in their heart is in the Holy Spirit. The second passage might surprise you. It took me years to recognize this. Galatians 5 verse 22. Chances are you've heard this. Paul wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is is now if we pause right there whatever paul writes after this is something that the spirit produces in people okay but the fruit of the spirit is okay now we have to see what he writes love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness faithfulness there it is the greek word for faithfulness is pistis which is used 243 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. And only three times in the ESV is it translated faithfulness. The overwhelming majority of times, pistis is translated faith. Faith. It means faith. Even the word faithful derives from being full of You're quick. All right. What does this mean? Faith is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces faith in people. No one believes unless the Holy Spirit plants and grows faith in their heart. Faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're just building here. I'll summarize this and apply it soon. Number eight, the Holy Spirit justifies sinners not only does the Holy Spirit give faith, but he justifies sinners by that faith. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says, but you were washed, 
you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I never saw that before in Scripture. Just in studying for this sermon, I learned this. The Holy Spirit justifies us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified is to be declared perfectly righteous by God. When God looks at you, to be justified means he looks through the righteousness of Christ and he looks at you and sees 100% righteous. It's a positional righteousness. And the Holy Spirit gives us that faith and justifies us by that faith. Number nine, the Holy Spirit gives freedom. Look around in our culture. So many people live in bondage. Bondage. They aren't free. You can see it in their lives. They are slaves to their sin and it kills their joy and their contentment and their pleasure in life. Their pursuit of worldly pleasure becomes their prison. Worldly pleasures seduce them into shackles. Listen to what the Spirit can do for you. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Freedom. Freedom. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, the Holy Spirit is a revolutionist. He overthrows the tyranny of sin and leads people into freedom in the fullest sense. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate freedom fighter. He gives freedom. Number 10, the Holy Spirit is the conduit through which God's love is poured into believers' hearts. The Holy Spirit is the conduit through which God's love is poured into believers' hearts. Conduit is simply a channel uh, through which something is poured out or travels. God is love, and so he pours his divine love into the hearts of the believers through the conduit of his divine Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The means that God uses to dispense his extravagant love into us is the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 15.30, Paul even attributes love to the Spirit. Did you know that God's Spirit is love? One last point under salvation, and then I'll bring it all together, hopefully. Number 11, the Holy Spirit living in you is proof that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit living in you is proof that you belong to God. Some tender Christians struggle so deeply with the assurance of salvation. I have struggled with the assurance of salvation. You might identify with that. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is assurance. The Holy Spirit is assurance. He assures us that we belong to God. I want Romans 8, 9 to really comfort you, so please listen closely. Paul told the Christians in Rome, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not saved and you don't belong to God. 
But if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then he is confirmation that you are saved and that you do indeed belong to God. This is, this is wonderful. From within you, the Holy Spirit gives you assurance of Christ's love and salvation. Paul took it even further in verses 14 through 16. He said this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of, of God. We could say daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, then you are a legitimate child of God. You're not a slave. You're not a slave. You are an adopted child of God. A loved child of God because God has given you the spirit of adoption. From within you, your spirit and the Holy Spirit bear witness together that you have been adopted by God. So let's bring points 5 through 11 all together and apply them. What does the Holy Spirit do? He saves people from sin, death, and eternal hell. He makes dead people alive. He enters into cold and lifeless hearts and gives them a beat for God. He transforms people. He gives people a new life, a better life, eternal life. When we ask the question, what difference does the Holy Spirit make in my life? The answer is epic. It's epic. He saves you from the eternal wrath and judgment of God in hell and liberates you to joyfully live for God and enjoy him forever in heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Salvation is the beginning of 10 million different blessings and graces given to you by the Holy Spirit. What difference does he make? All the difference in the world. All the difference in eternity and beyond. Now my dad, I talked to him about this on the phone. My dad owned a 1965 Ford Mustang. It was dark green. He sold it to start a family. <laughs> what a mistake, right? It's like, forget us, keep the car. That was an awesome car. Now, what if I surprised or wanted to surprise my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary this summer by restoring an old dilapidated 65 Mustang? Isn't that a cool? Dad, don't get any weird ideas. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't have the skills for that, bro. All right? So say I spend every waking hour for the next bunch of months restoring this car to mint condition. I mean, I work so hard to make everything look good, to make it shine, to, to, to make it feel immaculate, right? And everything came together. But let's say I never touched the 289 V8 3-speed engine under the hood. Never touched it. My mom and dad would sit in that Mustang on their 50th wedding anniversary the family's probably around anticipating a great moment and roar from that 289, and my dad would turn the key and nothing would happen. It's not much of a car without a functioning engine, is it? So many people do this with their lives. They work so hard to clean themselves up, 
to work on reforming their behavior from the outside. Well, I'll commit to that. I'll just start doing this. I'll work it out. And they never experience the heart change that they need on the inside. They work and work and work tirelessly to look good from the outside. But they forget that the Christian life begins with a restored heart, with God pulling the old heart out and putting a new heart in place. And from that starting point is when the real Christian life is lived. It comes from the heart. Being a Christian begins with a complete overhaul of the heart. Listen closely to this. The Christian life cannot be lived on human willpower. Impossible. You will fail. The Christian life is only lived on Holy Spirit power. So we need to understand that the same divine power that gave us new birth is also desperately needed in everyday life so that you can actually obey Jesus Christ. Without the power, you can forget it. This is why, I want you to please hear this. This is why so many churchgoers live carnal and immoral lives. They come to church, but their lives are a mess. And they don't even care about their sin. They aren't walking by the Spirit. They don't seem to care about the sin in their lives, and they have no power to overcome it. They feel trapped. They feel like this whole religion thing is just weighing them down, and that's because it is. You can't do it. I can't do it. But with the Holy Spirit power in us, leading us in the truth, He will lead us to obey Jesus Christ. And not only that, folks, get this, He'll make it joyful where you want to obey, you're compelled to obey. That's why people who are walking around me, I love Jesus. And you look at your life and you're like, you miss church 75% of the time. You have no Christian community. You're not teaching your kids how to walk with Jesus Christ. There are no signs that you know Jesus, none. Help me understand why your profession of faith means anything. So we have to take this seriously to know, you know what? We're losers. But you know what? Jesus Christ isn't. And he sent his spirit to dwell in you, to empower you to live for Christ with joy, to cherish him above all things. This is why just telling people to just try to do better, you got to stop this, you got to start this, it wears on you, does it not? And that's why our message is not that. Our message is, I'll tell you about a person and his name is Jesus, and he'll send the Holy Spirit to live in you and change you, and then your life's never going to be the same. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We need to see holy people in the church because the Holy Spirit is living in them. We need to see more people walking by the Spirit. Does this make sense? The Holy Spirit is the genius behind the restored and running engine. Now, next week is going to be really exciting. I don't think you should miss it, but that's just my opinion, because we're going to see how the Holy Spirit helps us in everyday life. When you wake up in the morning and you've got a, you're staring at the beast of the day, how am I going to get through this? Next week, we'll address some of those everyday issues. I think you'll be really encouraged, and I think it'll give you a whole boatload of hope. That's what I'm hoping happens. 
Hope, hope, hope. All right, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. That's what I'm trying to say, and I hope to show you that in much greater detail. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your Holy Spirit. Wow, we are blown away by your goodness and your power and your mercy and your grace. And I pray that people of Jerusalem Church and the the many visitors we have here today, that they would get this and they would not see the Christian faith as being a bunch of rules, but that they would see it as walking by the Holy Spirit. God, this is why so many people have no power to fight sin in their lives. They just get consumed and bowled over because they're not walking by the Spirit. God, there are some real issues of sin in my life that I've been wrestling with for years. And honestly, God, in a moment here, just just with the family of Jerusalem and you, sometimes I, I don't even think there's a way out. But that's a lie. There is. And it's the Holy Spirit of power in me, in us. We are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And he has no small spirit. He is an infinite and powerful spirit that will help us. And so I just pray that we tap into his spirit by faith. We believe that he'll show up and help us and then we'll make good decisions by his power and we'll say no to sin by his power and we'll repent by his power and we'll trust and believe by his power. Would you send the Holy Spirit to do a work of grace in our our church and in our community and help people to see sovereign grace and to see what the Holy Spirit can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.